Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technology. My name is Tiasha Zaitz, and today we're going to look at a huge problem in the U.S. healthcare system, that's healthcare billing. Two-thirds of people who file for bankruptcy cite medical issues as a key contributor to their financial downfall. That's understandable since if you get sick, you might lose a job and your health insurance. Even if you have health insurance, you might have high deductibles and face threat of high costs. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, the number of uninsured non-elderly Americans is increasing. It went from 26.7 million in 2016 to 28.9 million in 2019. Billing claims can get denied by health insurance companies and patients are faced with surprise billing costs. This leads to stressful Sometimes patients get creative. When Stacy Richter's husband landed in a New Jersey emergency room, she took an unusual step. Instead of simply signing the hospital's financial and treatment consent form, she first crossed out sections calling for her to pay whatever amount the hospital charged. Instead, she wrote that she would only pay a rate of, quote, maximum of two times, unquote, what the federal government would pay under Medicare. Stacy is the author of Relentless Health Value Podcast, and she explained this situation thoroughly in one of the shows. New York Times also reported the story, and I added the links to both resources to the show notes. Now let's dive into the topic about how does billing look like and what problems are present and addressed in the U.S. healthcare. I talked to Rick Sinclair, the Chief Strategy and Product Officer of Waystar. Waystar is a health tech platform helping streamline payments for over half a million healthcare providers across the United States. Enjoy the show, and if you will like what you hear, do subscribe to the podcast to be notified about new episodes automatically. And to browse through other episodes as well, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. Now, to Rick. Rick, Waystar has been recognized as one of the best software businesses in the nation and has been the recipient of numerous awards and recognition since its founding. Everybody wants to be a winner. Let's start with an easy question of what's your winning, winning strategy? It's true. We've been really humbled by our success. But what I'd say is Waystar as a business, we're a technology company with a singular mission which is to simplify healthcare payments in the United States right now is our focus. So healthcare providers can focus on providing care as they should, and they can focus on investing their time, energy, and resources in their communities. And a lot of times I think people overlook software businesses and they think about the technology, but the reality is software businesses are people businesses. And so we think that our secret to success 
has been really being a values-driven organization that's staying very focused on our clients and hiring really smart, creative people, of which we have well over a thousand team members now at Waystar, all committed to this mission to simplify healthcare payments. So your business is dealing with revenue cycles for healthcare providers. Now, as an outsider of the U.S., you know, coming from a public system where healthcare is perceived as, as free, although it's not, so we have really good access to healthcare and are definitely not afraid of being bankrupt because of healthcare. You know, my um, description of healthcare billing or just going to an ER or healthcare in the U.S. would be an anxiety-inducing event where the patient doesn't know how much his healthcare would cost and potentially fears getting bankrupt. So perhaps, you know, a quick comment from your side regarding that, regarding the whole issue of billing in the U.S. In healthcare specifically in the United States, that's really where the term revenue cycle exists. If you were to talk about a grocery store, they don't think about what's their revenue cycle from somebody that's buying groceries. And somebody buying groceries doesn't have to think about in line, I wonder how much this is going to be. Or am I going to get a bill later for bread, milk, and diapers? They're able to have a dialogue up front before goods are purchased or services are rendered. And so really what happened in the United States over the last plus or minus 30 years was processes were built, which I'm happy to go in as deep as you want, but processes were built based on a system and a payment system that in you know the 1980s plus, even the 1990s, was primarily a healthcare provider and an insurance company exchanging funds between each other and patients carried a very low portion of the financial responsibility. Over the last 10 to 15 years, particularly, there's been more and more of that cost structure. In some cases now it's 30 to 40% of the overall cost structure is shifting to patients and healthcare providers and insurance companies in many cases are still using outdated technology or they're on outdated process in the old world of being reimbursed. And so that creates a scenario and a process, you're right, where a single mom could have their child get hurt at a sports game and have to rush them to an emergency room because they have a broken leg. And in that moment in time, she doesn't know what a care plan should necessarily be, what the cost is going to be. If she's asked, would you like X or Y procedure done? She, she doesn't know in some cases. Now at Waystar, and there's some other great businesses focused on this too, but our mission is to figure out a way, and we're, we're doing that at scale now for over 500,000 healthcare providers, but we're just scratching the surface to bring that cost information up front. So where it becomes more of a consumer-like experience in the same way we talk about being at a grocery store and buying bread and milk and diapers. So let's dive into that a little bit. Can you describe just a plastic example of, let's say I go to the doctor's office, how does the whole billing process look like? You know, 
just everything, all the consent that the patient needs to sign, who can uh, she ask for the um, payment costs, you know, uh, because one of the things that's a discussion here is should doctors know about the costs? Do they have a clue about what the costs will be? The defensive medicine where more procedures than necessary get done just to make sure that you're not uh, missing anything and you're not in danger of a lawsuit. So the whole process, let's say I, I get hurt, I go to the, to the hospital, how, how does the billing happen? They want what's best for the patient, uh, both clinically and, and financially. But the U.S. healthcare billing process, to your point, is complex because you have to manage a network here of private insurance companies and public insurance companies, each with its own payment and reporting requirements. And so you could be managing hundreds, if not thousands of different contracts, fee schedules, and payment arrangements as a hospital. And so the basic steps though, which is typically called the revenue cycle or the healthcare payments process in the United States, sound pretty straightforward. It's when a patient arrives, a healthcare provider will collect their information, but there's typically not a national platform or there's a lot of double work for lack of a better phrase, that goes on where patients feel like they're filling out the same form over and over. And the provider then will render care and turns whatever's done into these quote unquote billable charges. And those charges are then documented, put into technical systems, and basically electronically it's sent to an insurance company or a payer, which you'll hear it be called oftentimes just in shorthand. The payer then analyzes that claim that's sent and either accepts it or denies it. But keep in mind, when that claim is sent, a, a patient's, for the most part, in this simple example, they've discharged, they've received the care. And now there's a payment process going on between a healthcare provider and let's say a private insurance company that may take 30, 45, 60 plus days for those two entities to agree what should be paid. At that point in time, if there is, which oftentimes there is a remaining balance, that is then sent to a patient. And what I'd love to talk about why things get denied or what businesses like Waystar are doing, if we get there, are trying to do to bring that far more upstream, which makes the process better. But in that simple example, it may have taken a patient 90 days, 120 days, just to get a bill from the time that they checked in to a hospital to receive routine care all the way up to advanced care. Let's talk about uh, denied claims. Why do they happen? Does the cost of the denied claim, does that fall to the patient? It falls to everybody. <laughs> it's such a it, it's such a fascinating question. And so a, a payment denial is what happens when a patient's insurance company declines to pay part or all of a medical bill balance. And this can happen for a lot of reasons. It could be something as simple as a typo 
where a patient's name is spelled wrong or on a very complicated procedure, maybe where 20 or 30 or 40 things were done, one line item was slightly wrong and an entire claims denied. And in fact, we're processing billions of transactions and starting to automate them more and more. Seven or $800 billion worth of claims are flowing through Waystar's platform in a year. So I can actually speak with this with some statistical confidence at scale. Healthcare providers, particularly those that haven't moved to newer processes, are oftentimes denied three or four or five or eight percent of everything they're submitting to an insurance company. Our data shows that nearly 90% of those claims, they're preventable from being denied. And so we've started to innovate and invest in artificial intelligence and technology that will automatically catch those errors instead of it having to be this manual process to fix them. And to your question, uh, which is a deep and complicated one, but I'm so glad we're talking about is where does that cost actually fall? Does it fall to the patient? And I said, falls to everyone. And so what I mean by that is this back and forth administrative bureaucratic process that needs to be automated is rising the cost of healthcare because every time a claim goes back and forth, it's hundreds of dollars being spent, which brings the cost up. And every time a claim goes back and forth and is denied, that extends the time until a patient understands what they're going to owe. Because each resubmission takes 14 days or 21 days or 30 days. What's happening there is if a claim is outright denied by an insurance company, and let's say it's for a typographical reason, and it's not correctly caught by the provider, then all of that cost goes to the patient. And then a patient has a choice. They can themselves, which oftentimes they're not equipped to do, dispute that and say, this is not what I owe. I think there's an error. Or they can pay it in full, and they're not necessarily paying the correct amount, and they're having to do it later after they've received care. So that's part of just a small sliver of complexity into what a denial looks like and how it, it shifts, shifts costs over. What would your advice be to uh, consumers, to patients regarding how they should go against, you know, surprise bills and high healthcare costs, which are difficult to analyze, especially since that depends on the insurance that you have. You might have very high deductibles, you might be uninsured, you know, so I imagine that giving that additional complexity to the story makes it much more difficult for the patients to figure out if the claim to them is reasonable or not, if you know what I'm trying to say. You know, how can you as a patient figure out that you're built too much because of a technical error in the system? Part of it becomes, I think, just with a behavior shift where patients should be empowered to ask how much their care is going to be. Full stop. There, there is technology available and it's getting better and better 
that for certain procedures, and that's our starting point, elective procedures, such as a hip or a knee replacement, patients need to be empowered to ask a healthcare provider and to have dialogue about what that's going to cost upfront. And providers are starting to invest in technology and tools and better processes that enable them to do that. In fact, there was recent regulation passed in the United States that in some cases is mandating that healthcare providers post price transparency charges. And we're just at the, we're in the early innings, but post price transparency charges and costs so patients can shop for certain procedures. And I do think it's not as widely known as it should be that patients have a right to ask what something's going to cost. Now that doesn't solve for, and we're not going to settle and we'll sleep only a little bit, the things that become very complicated, emergency procedures. There's no dialogue about what something's going to cost. You need something done. And I still think we're making progress, but there is so much improvement we can make. Yeah, I I would definitely agree. For example, I have a problem, you know, saying that uh, patients should shop for procedures because I don't, like, it's irresponsible for healthcare if a hospital expects me to decide what treatment I want. You know, I'm not a doctor. That's why doctors are there. And especially with the rising complexity of medicine, I don't know, you know, to which extent... Okay, transparency is one thing, but if you give patients a choice, how does that impact the whole healthcare picture in the um, uh, in the U.S.? You know, and it's uh, can price transparency bring down the big issue, which is that, and I'm going to read some some data now, that two thirds of people who file for bankruptcy cite medical issues as the key contributor to their financial. Uh, downfall. Um, so that's why I said before that I find healthcare an anxiety-inducing event for for the. Um, um, I come. I'm with you. Just to be clear, and I there's one thing I, I take it slightly different. I think than most in the space. Price transparency is really important. Very important to clearly show a patient what they'll owe before they receive care. However, what's more important is that they can afford that care. So if I tell you, going full circle, back to what we first talked about, this gallon of milk is $47. There's your price transparency. What good does that do you? You're not gonna pay $47 for a gallon of milk. You'll go buy your milk somewhere else. And so I do think as far as we think about some of the behind the scenes administrative wastes that are happening in the United States healthcare system, by investing to just bring the cost down of the back and forth between a healthcare provider and an insurance company, there's estimated right now to be three to $400 billion dollars of money wasted a year just in administrative overhead in that process I explained to you 
where a healthcare provider is trying to get paid correctly from an insurance company, having nothing to do yet with also getting paid correctly, fully and fairly from a patient. If you think about that, just pulling those costs out through technology and normalcy, you know, just making very rational decisions will bring the cost of care down. And there's a myriad of other ways to do it. So maybe can you uh, elaborate a little bit further? How do you see that that cost, you know, that wasted money just because of processes and uh, fires going back and forth, how, how that could be reduced? Apart from what you mentioned before, that you're trying to use AI to avoid avoidable mistakes uh, that are very technical. Yeah, there are so many examples I could give personally that we've seen from healthcare providers that are moving towards more advanced technology platforms that they are saving 85, 90, 95 plus percent of those manual touches and manual work by investing in technology. The reason the fax machine still exists in the United States is healthcare. That's, that's a fact. I'm sorry for any of your listeners that are deeply invested in fax machines, but that's a fact. And so for those examples, that should be eliminated with technology, full stop. For examples where healthcare providers are having to pick up the phone to call an 800 number at an insurance company and ask them the status of a claim and then have to pick up and call them again to ask the status of the next claim and do that all day long, that should all be automated. And that is being automated. We're just on the early adoption cycle of that. And all of those things are the un unseen, but often said bureaucratic, highly manual processes that are just deeply ingrained in the healthcare billing system that quite frankly, that's one of my passions is to try and automate it. You're in a way building something that brings a little bit of a peace of mind to healthcare providers, you know, they don't have to worry or they can worry less about uh, not getting paid uh, because of denied claims. So can you tell me a little bit more about um, um, how far that could go? And more than that, what I'm kind of curious about is in the last year, you know, because of COVID, healthcare changed in a sense that for a while at least um, some procedures weren't being done. So from the revenue perspective, a lot of healthcare providers were in trouble. And yeah. because you're doing exactly that, you know, so de dealing with revenues, what did you observe, you know, because you're working with almost half a million healthcare providers in the US. So out of the data that you gather, I'm sure you've got a lot of insight of how was healthcare uh, seen or just the healthcare sector affected in the last year? COVID-19 put many healthcare providers across the world under significant pressure and never before seen stress. And 
And in the United States, it was some significant financial stress too. To, to your point, elective surgeries and all optional procedures for a period of time were outright paused and canceled. Many cases rightfully so for public safety, but those are financially vital for hospital because today in the reimbursement environment, those are more likely covered by private insurance that pays higher, or it's a revenue stream and a, and a positive revenue stream. It's good benefit for patients and for healthcare providers. What further exacerbated or amplified that, you know, probably 20 plus billion dollars of revenue and procedures that just didn't happen in 2020 was at the same time, expenses went way up for healthcare providers. Spending more on supplies, spending more on uh, procedures, and by procedures, not a healthcare procedure, but processes and procedures to get their facilities in, in a safe operating environment. We saw for quite a few healthcare providers, the amount they were being reimbursed from insurance companies go down. And in the United States, it's publicly available information. The top insurance companies in the nation, their profits were at all-time highs. And the reason that they were at all-time highs was because there was less care being delivered. And so there were less payments going out. We, we saw a couple really interesting trends. There was unprecedented, quite literally, exponential increase in telehealth and in virtual visits that occurred across the world, but definitely in the United States and what we saw on our platform. They worked. <laughs> And we're excited to be partnering with some of the nation's leading telehealth companies. And those typically provide a more frictionless, easier experience where the costs are a bit more known upfront and more in control. There's so many great examples of hospitals and health systems deploying that uh, technology on their own. We also saw this never before seen focus that's continuing into this year of being paid effectively and how much time and energy and money goes into just getting paid the right amount. And so that has been a light and a blessing and a really tough macro environment overall where healthcare providers are on the front lines dealing with providing care while at the same time seeing their, their reimbursements drop. I fundamentally believe, and I'll say it again and again, the majority, overwhelmingly so, of healthcare providers, they're participants in their communities, and they want what's best for their patients, period. That's how I, I think about it. But COVID-19 was and still is difficult for healthcare providers to manage through. Do you think, and this might not be the best question for you, but like, do you have any predictions that healthcare costs uh, might rise a lot when the pandemic kind of boils down a bit, when the procedures that were not done uh, during this time are going to start rolling again? And unfortunately, there is an expectation that one of the consequences of procedures not being done in the last year are also going to be uh, worse outcomes for patients, more complications, which also means higher costs. So do you anticipate that? 
higher costs when things are going to go back to normal? Or is it just that the waiting times are going to increase for the patients? Yeah, I'm an optimist by nature. <laughs> and I, I like to think that uh, we're starting to see some positive trends on investments healthcare providers are making and a focus to get paid more effectively. I don't think there's ever been a time the healthcare providers are more rightfully focused on their margin and their bottom line, because without margin, they, they can't carry out their mission. And so I'm hopeful, even if I look at a business like Waystar, that's purpose is to make healthcare cheaper through simpler healthcare payments. I'm hopeful that we'll start to see costs go down. And I can tell you that without fully disclosing it, that Waystar has continued to add an unprecedented number of healthcare providers to our platform that are investing and getting off of fax machines and not making phone calls anymore and want to have their team members work on more impactful things than bureaucratic processes. I want to, you know, just uh, give the viewers and the listeners as much uh, a kind of value uh, as possible, especially from the patient perspective. So one question that I think is really important is the fact that there's uh, 900 insurance companies in the U.S. As you mentioned before, there's networks that each of these insurance companies have. So when you go to a doctor, you have to make sure that you're going to the provider that's in the network. But that's actually not enough. You know, it can happen that you go to the healthcare provider that's in the network and then the doctor that's going to treat you in that institution is going to be out of network. So can you explain to me how is that possible and how can patients avoid that? Because that does mean that they're going to get surprise bills. Yeah, I, and I, I believe strides have been made to reduce surprise billing, but there is still much work to be done. How it happens, many hospitals can be part of an insurer's network, but some of the physicians that they're affiliated with or that may do additive procedures may not be in that insurer's network. And so this can lead to those surprise bills and this can lead to the overall kind of balance billing issues sometimes as it's referred to publicly. An example where it might be exacerbated with COVID-19 pandemic that has occurred the three physician types most likely to be out of network from a hospital are typically the emergency room, anesthesiologists, and radiologists. Now, this does not mean they always are. It just means these are the ones that are most likely. And so oftentimes on an emergent procedure or where you're arriving to a hospital and you don't necessarily know what you're going to have done, a lab, an anesthesiologist not in the network may be the one that ends up getting involved in your procedure. That being said, that's not, it's not an excuse for where we're at. And I don't think it's acceptable. And I, I do feel that I can speak on behalf of many Waystar clients that are leaders at some of the uh, most prestigious hospitals in the United States. It's not their intent either, and it's not what they're satisfied with. They're continuing to make investments in processes and technology to more proactively and better identify when a patient is out of network 
for a facility, how to route a patient's care much more in real time than it occurs today. So how, what would you do, you know, if you went to the emergency room and uh, like how careful would you be to make sure, you know, that you don't get a surprise bill? So some practical, uh, you know, advice here. Yeah, I, if I was a patient in the United States, I would ask for an estimate. And I, I have asked what care is going to owe. I have been told personally before, we don't know if we're going to be able to provide you with that. And I have personally said, I would like to know. And do I think healthcare is moving in the United States to an environment where that will be proactively known and discussed broad scale, not just if a healthcare provider happens to have modern technology? Yes, I do. And do I think that it's right and that it's the perfect answer to say, you should say, you would like to know how much healthcare is. And that's a surprise to many Americans that they can ask that question. No, I don't think that's where we want to be, but you asked me what my direct advice was, and that's what I would do today when we're talking. And I do think rest assured just seeing the trends that healthcare providers are rapidly preparing for what it looks like tomorrow. And, and they want to provide patients with cost information upfront in timely because they want it too. Let's be real. They want it too. Yeah. Well, one uh, uh, issue that does happen and can happen is that the surprise bills are not necessarily just the problem for the patients. They're also a big problem for, for the healthcare providers if the patients are unable to actually pay that cost. And that's not uncommon, as I mentioned before. So maybe do you have any data or just anything that you can add to that? You know, so how big is the issue of unpaid uh, costs in healthcare? In the United States right now, it's estimated that about 49% of self-pay payments, so the money that a patient owes a healthcare provider goes to bad debt and is unpaid. So if you think about that in terms of just rounded numbers, 50 cents on the dollar that a patient owes a healthcare provider in the United States is ultimately not paid. I do not believe that's because patients who are people don't want to pay. I think it's a confluence of factors ranging from they're confused at what they owe to the bill arrived far too late to your great points. They can't pay it. And they have six, seven, eight other bills to pay. And those bills range from their utility bill to their grocery bill, to the bill that they must pay to keep their cell phone going that they need to work from, to a healthcare bill of services that they received 90 days ago. I don't know about you, but as a, a dad of three, if I was forced to stack rank those, I know how I would stack rank paying them. And I think that anyone, if they're being real, would stack rank them pretty much the same way too, which is the necessities and the needs of your family and your loved one that are requiring you to move through. And with the cost of healthcare rising, 
high deductible plans at very high levels now, it, it creates more of a price shift on a patient. And we have to do a better job as a country. We have to do a better job of moving that understanding of cost up before care is received and bringing the price down. We have to do both of those things. If we talked five years ago, I guess you could say the same. So, you know, from that perspective, I guess it's, the question is, how is the improvement yeah. going to happen? I know. And the exciting thing is, if I look at a small sliver, uh, somewhere like Waystar, we have about 1% market share right now. And at some of our clients, we're seeing them bring costs down. We're seeing them provide estimates up front. They're launching, they have... 300 hospitals now that have price transparency websites and portals up that patients are able to see what they're going to owe. And we're getting there. <laughs> But to your point, we need more people doing and being entrepreneurial and being gritty and building and less people talking. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you enjoyed the show, leave a rating or a review by going to www.lovethepodcast.com slash faces of digital health and you will be redirected to the platform appropriate for your device. Stay tuned.